I left the company about two and a half years ago. I, I handed the reins over to uh, another CEO to run the company. He did that for about a year. It didn't work out. So I had to jump back in as CEO after about a year. And I was, you know, traveling the world, lived in a van for a couple of months, just, you know, had a pretty crazy year. It was amazing. Uh, and then, and then when I came back, it, it was a really cool experience because after leaving the company, and this is all I had been doing since university, I started this company in university. And so coming back, it was like, it was like getting back into a relationship with an old lover and you start to realize like why you fell in love with them to begin with. And that was one of the things that I'd always loved about Glacier. And, and, and I just loved the purpose of the company, which is to inform and inspire the next generation. Welcome to Starter Stories, a podcast that explores the stories behind the world's leading education technology companies and education consultancies and the people who created them. In each episode, you'll hear about the grit, the strategies, the wins, the failures, and the serendipity that transpired to take a half-baked idea and bring it to life. Starter Stories is a podcast of Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher education marketers. Explore our other shows like Fanatical Fridays and CRM Prov, or access creative ideas on how to better your student recruitment campaigns via our videos, blogs, and e-courses at enrollify.org. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In a moment, you'll meet Matt Dittlgen, co-founder and CEO of Glacier. Glacier is the leader in high school and student advertising. With the largest high school advertising network and the largest student influencer network in North America, Glacier helps colleges and universities reach Gen Z in contextually relevant ways. Matt was born and raised in Calgary, Canada. During university, Matt realized a traditional career path wasn't for him. He was interested in too many different things, from psychology to media and statistics to marketing, so he settled on entrepreneurship. After his startup Faculty Wars, which was the largest network of dodgeball tournaments in Calgary, and perhaps in all of Canada, was shut down by the institutional powers that be, and his idea of launching a student laundry service wasn't gaining much traction, Matt sat down with his good friend Patrick Shaw for a brainstorm session that would yield the idea behind what would become Glacier. Tune in to learn more about the experiences, the opportunities, the mistakes, and the sheer luck that inspired a couple of college kids from Canada to build the continent's largest student influencer network. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Starter Stories. I am joined today by someone who I've known for, I guess, almost a year-ish now and have had several different conversations with. And every time I talk to this individual, who you will meet momentarily, I am impressed by the caliber of the work that he and his team do. And I walk away from the conversation and more excited and uh, more optimistic than when I entered the conversation. Um, and this individual is none other than Matt Diddlegen, who is the CEO and founder of Glacier. So welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Zach. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we are going to have a lot of fun today and talk about you and talk about Glacier and the story, um, your, your, your story, Glacier's story, how they intersect, um, and then talk a little bit about just some of the lessons that you've learned uh, during your time leading this, this company. And, um, you know, one of the things, Matt, that we were just talking about is that this is sort of like 
your opportunity to share the great, the good, the bad, the ugly in as much detail as you so desire. Um, and you know, for our listeners' sake, I think the more detail, the better. Um, but I want to kick us off with a question that will hopefully give you an opportunity to just give folks a little bit of an understanding of who you are. And um, as I was prepping for our conversation, um, one of the the things that came to mind was those, you know, TikTok and Instagram like videos that are going all over the place where it's like, you know, tell me without telling me something, telling me you do this without telling me that you do this, right? So I'm curious uh, to, to uh, kick us off here. Could you tell me you're the CEO of Glacier without telling me that you're the CEO at Glacier? So what is it that you actually do all day? Yeah, I saw, I saw that question. I was trying to think, and it might be a little bit different now with, with, uh, with COVID, but typically we, we have a lot of fun. One of the, one of the core values of our company is, is fun. That's something that is also one of my personal core values and, and I've held true to it for as long as I can remember. So my business card, which I think is super unique to our company, it's actually, it looks like a baseball card. So we okay. all have a lesson. It could just be a whole bunch, you know, someone sitting at their desk typing furiously, you know, and it shows their client stats on the back. Uh, mine is me playing ping pong. Pre-COVID, we played a lot of ping pong until we got a shuffleboard table. Now we play a lot of shuffleboard. Uh, but now with COVID, we play a lot of Among Us as a team. Uh, so that's been really fun. So that's that's one area of my life that I spend a lot of time at Glacier is, is the fun element because even, even in a pandemic, I think life's too short not to have fun every day. Um, and then I, I spend the rest of my time in executive meetings. Uh, I also lead the Inform and Inspire team. That's something that's really near and dear to my heart. That's the the purpose of, of Glacier is to inform and inspire the next generation. So we've, uh, during the pandemic, we really put more of an emphasis on mental health. Hmm. And so we're, we're putting a lot of work in now and trying to find partners that are aligned with that, that, uh, that goal. Cause our, our, actually our, our big, uh, our big vision that we want to do is, is help support the next generation in being the most resilient generation ever. And so we're trying to find, partners to work with that are that are really moving the needle on that that, that we can help uh, promote so we're working with some uh, right now at the crisis hotline where they're uh, it's like a peer-to-peer um, group with you know suicide support for kids that are looking to harm themselves or whatever they can just text this group so we're we're trying to get more kids aware of this service that's existing right now so we're launching that campaign right now so we're really excited about that um, I'm also really focused on the future of the company. I spent a lot of my time just thinking about where we're going to go in the future. How can we better serve our clients? How can we help our, our communities with the youth that we serve, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I spend a lot of my time in, in meetings, having fun and doing cultural stuff with the team or uh, really just thinking strategically and, and trying to figure out what we're going to do next and how we're going to better serve our, our clients and, and our stakeholders. Talk to me about the inform and inspire team. I'm, I'm curious, what is what exactly is that? That sounds awesome. And I want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's something we started up in the last year or so, because we, uh, like I said, the purpose of the company is to inform and inspire the next generation. And so I, I really, I guess, I guess to start, I, I left the company about a year and a half ago and I handed the reins over to, uh, actually, no, it would have been about two and a half years ago. I, I handed the reins over to, uh, another CEO to run the company. He did that for about a year. It didn't work out. So I had to uh, jump back in as CEO. 
after about a year and I was, you know, traveling the world, lived in a van for a couple of months, just, you know, had a pretty crazy year. It was amazing. Uh, and then, and then when I came back, it, it was a really cool experience because after leaving the company, and this is all I had been doing since university, I started this company in university. And so coming back, it was like, it was like getting back into a relationship with an old lover and you start to realize like why you fell in love with them to begin with. And that was one of the things that I'd always loved about Glacier and, and, and I just loved the purpose of the company, which is to inform and inspire the next generation. And so I said, well, what does this mean on a philosophical level? Like, what does that even mean to inform and inspire? And, and so I, I set out to really write down the philosophy of Glacier of what that means and, and what are the things that we could advertise to kids that genuinely inform and inspire them? And so we got together with this group and tried to set out like, okay, what do we need to inform and inspire kids about? And then the one that kept coming to the surface, um, well, there was really two. Vaping was a huge problem at the time. And so we set out to do some work. We've done some work with the government of Pennsylvania and that kind of stuff on anti-vaping. And then um, we also, uh, the other one that kept rising to the top was mental health. And so the pandemic hit and we're like, okay, we have even more of a job to do, I think, with the pandemic and mental health. And, and so what that group is doing now is trying to figure out how can we do our part to make the next generation the most mentally resilient generation ever. And so we're trying to find groups that are helping us do that. And then we're also trying to develop new products and services that help our clients uh, get in front of youth more so. So that's that's the work that group is doing. And, and like I said, that's the stuff that's super near and dear to my heart. And, and we've and we've also, the other thing I forgot to mention is we've also uh, made the promise that we're gonna donate 10% of our net income to doing pro bono work. And that's why we're trying to find the, the groups that are really moving the needle on mental health because we're gonna donate all of our all, all of that money to uh, media services that are going to help promote mental health causes. That's incredible. And, um, I, and, and just something that's super, super needed right now. And I think that, you know, at, at a, um, a little bit more of a specific level, I think that this sort of framework of bringing this kind of team, uh, enabling this kind of team to form within the context of any organization that's future oriented, that's um, really focused on solving a particular problem that understands from a philosophical level, the why behind the work that you're doing is remarkably important. Um, so that's so cool. I, I have a lot of follow up questions, but um, for the sake of time, uh, we'll have to revisit those at another point. So I, I do want to give folks the opportunity to learn a little bit more about just the nuts and bolts of what Glacier is. So my question sure. in order to like draw this out of you is imagine you're on Shark Tank. Um, you've got a couple of minutes to convince Mark Cuban to invest in Glacier. How do you explain what Glacier is and why Glacier matters? Mm -hmm. Sure. So at our essence, we are an advertising company that specializes in advertising to high school students and youth. That is what we are the very best at. And we pride ourselves because we only advertise things that are genuinely good for youth. So that's things like higher education. You know, that's why we're talking is we have hundreds of higher education clients. We also do things like health and wellness, like I just talked about the Inform and Inspire team, uh, and really just anything that we deem good for kids in the long run. That's what we do. And what makes us unique and, and why we're so good at what we do is because we have the unique ability to place ads in high schools all across North America, which is very unique to us. And we have the largest youth influencer network of 
you, you know, nano influencers from high school students that have a couple thousand followers all the way up to larger macro influencers that have close to a million followers um, that have a large youth following. And so we're, we're experts in advertising to high school students and youth. That's really what makes us the best. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel, which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash Enrollify. Can you just quickly unpack for us how does a school, I know that it probably varies, but how does a school typically engage with Glacier? Like if I am an enrollment marketer working at a four-year sort of like uh, undergraduate institution, how do I engage with Glacier? The, the easiest way would probably be through our website, you know, just going there and. Oh, sorry, and, sorry. What, sorry. What, <laughs> what I meant, Matt, was um, yeah. about like, like the actual services. So when you say like, oh. you know, it, you guys have this robust network of influencers, um, you've got this unique ability to sort of like advertise to this core audience in high schools. Like if I, if I'm a school, how do I like buy stuff from you? Like what, I guess, like what is like a package or a, a grouping of services uh, look like? Yeah, it, they're really tailored depending on the specific need of the school. But, you know, let's say it's a four-year university and, and they are looking to enter a new market. Then what we would say is we would look into and figure out what is the awareness like in that market? Like where, where, where in their funnel are they really lacking the most in that new market? And then we would build the products and services that are going to best suit that need. So if they're lacking awareness, then you know, high school ads are a great fit. So we would get ads up in those target schools. We would do a display campaign. We'd get some TikTok going, likely use some influencers in that area, whether it's prospective high school students or a lot of the time, their own college students are the best storytellers for their brand. So we would engage with their own students and get them to build content and then boost that into the prospective students. Then we could also layer on, and that's the other part I forgot to mention is that we do have really cutting edge digital tactics and tools for advertising that we can layer on top, whether that's uh, search engine marketing, or we found Snapchat to be really effective with lead gen, whatever it might be. But all of our solutions are really tailored to the college or university, depending on whatever they're looking for and what their goals are. And so in terms of tapping into this like micro influencer network, 
does this look like you all engaging with these these influencers and helping essentially give them frameworks for hey here's content that we want you to create and or um i don't want to get too much off on this but i am i am sort of interested in sort of like just tactically like how does this actually work because there's growing conversation that that we hear here at enrollify from folks asking about hey how do you effectively uh inspire influencers that might exist within your own college or university to create content that can be used for uh prospective you know new prospect generation and or to help you know motivate folks to take that next step in the application process like are you guys essentially providing those frameworks for for these influencers to to use to create their content or roughly how does that work yeah for our for our clients it's a very we we handle the whole thing from sourcing the students to creating the content brief to executing the campaign, managing it, overseeing it, everything. So we, we manage the whole process because it can be, you know, a little, a little debilitating in how much work there is required to do it. So sure. we the whole thing. Um, and so was your question around how could universities do it more so, or how do we, how do we do it? I was curious if you guys, uh, I guess one of the, the questions we hear a lot, is mm-hmm. hey uh influencers we we think that they could be valuable to tap into but aren't really yeah. sure how to appropriately engage with them and i mean you know you're you're talking to you're talking about uh, engaging with creators right and creators are sometimes difficult personalities to work with and you know yeah, if, if sure. a admissions folk if an admissions team member is going to a student at their school that has 10,000 instagram influencers and saying hey can you like promote our apply now button, right? Like in their content, not sure how well that's going to work. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure this, this varies on sort of like the topic and, and, um, the personality of the influencer, but I think where schools get held up a lot of the time is like, how do you ensure that, uh, you are meeting your objectives, but that those objectives also align with like the core competence of the creator, um, yeah. so anyways, I, I just wondering if you have any sort of quick thoughts on like how folks can do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, what we find is, you know, it's easy enough to go on and, and look at the top posts on your, on the university's campus and see who the best content creators are through Instagram or TikTok, whatever it might be. And we typically find that the students who are most excited after we reach out to them in their response, how they respond, if they're excited about it they're going to be great. Yeah. Like it's almost without fail. The ones that take a little while or, you know, they're like, Oh yeah. How much are you going to pay me? Like they're not going to be very good. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'd say judging it based on the level of excitement and the response is a really clear indicator. And then also just looking through the content they've already created. Are they, you know, is the content that they've created already? Is that, is that what you want to stick your brand on or is it more, you know, like some, some guy at the gym flexing all the time or some, or or like, you know, other kind of more model-esque photos, like maybe not the best fit, but if if they're a genuine, if if you can see through their content that they're, you know, like a genuinely great ambassador, they're probably going to be good. And if they respond excitedly, then they're probably going to be great. So, uh, and then, and then it's all about just giving them the sandbox to play in and letting them build the sandcastle. That's really the analogy we use. You know, you have to put the, the, the borders on it so that you have your brand safety and everything like that, which is really important, but not trying to wordsmith the posts or else that's where you're going to run into trouble. So that's what we typically recommend. 
Love it. Love it. It makes a lot of sense. So I wanted, I wanted to shift gears here and, and talk a little bit more about you and go back actually to uh, what it was like for Matt growing up. And, you know, you are now leading this team um, and really this company with a, a very bold sort of mission here and an important one, one that is um, uh, very, you know, future focused and um, really about more than just advertising, um, given sort of your all's mission statement. And I'm curious, uh, what motivated you as a as a kid? Like, were you always pretty driven? Were you always pretty sure that, you know, you wanted to, quote unquote, make an impact in the world? Or uh, is, is there a story you can share with us that highlights what sort of held your attention growing up? And has that sort of inspired you to do the work that you do today in, in any sort of capacity? I... I was really driven. I was a bit of a thrill seeker growing up. I was always big into extreme sports like I loved. And then I got into more organized sports like baseball later on in my youth and et cetera. But growing up, I would I was just always driven by the thrill. And so I was huge into mountain biking. I remember spending weeks building this massive jump. I, I don't think I was older than like 13 maybe. And I ended up building it. It was just way too big. Like it was dauntingly too large. And I was like, well, I just spent weeks building this thing. I'm going to do it anyways. And I just, you know, went off this jump and went way too high, completely shattered my bike, broke my body, like just wrecked myself. Um, and, but it, but even though that happened, like I loved it, you know, and then I, I got a new bike and hit it again in a few weeks and crashed and burned and got mangled. And then you know, around the same time I was snowboarding and went off a jump that was way too big and got a huge concussion. Uh, and I, I was just always doing that kind of crazy or going off these massive jumps and popping both of my tires on impact and just wrecking my body. Uh, but it was, it was that thrill of, of pushing my comfort zone, pushing the envelope and, and doing something that others wouldn't do that was really exciting to me. So I think that's, that kind of captures me, I guess, in, in, in a story of <laughs> maybe being a little reckless at times, but but just always pushing the envelope and wanting to do something that really is thrilling and, and seems worthwhile. Well, and something that you're consistently, you know, falling on your face and realizing that pain. And then if you can get up from that, right, what's scarier than, you know, falling off a, a off of a bike or, you know, completely wiping out while, while snowboarding? If you can endure that pain, right, business is a breeze uh, in, in comparison. <laughs> Uh, do you, I, I'm curious, do you remember what the first ad campaign you ever saw was, or maybe if it's, if it's not the first ad campaign you ever saw, is there, is there an ad campaign that comes to mind when you think back to like being a kid and watching cartoons or, you know, walking through a, a city and noticing something, um, what sort of, uh, ad recall from your, from your early childhood can you pull from? Yeah. Early, early childhood. Early childhood is a tricky one. I don't know if I paid too much attention, unfortunately. I was so caught up in sports and everything, I didn't really pay attention to it. But the one that, like like when you first said that, the one that came to mind immediately was probably when I was in university and it was the, uh, or maybe even high school, I can't remember, but it was the, the Old Spice campaign. I don't know if you remember that one, with the Old Spice man on the horse and everything like that. <laughs> I just remember seeing that and just viscerally knowing that this is genius. Like, I, I didn't know anything about business at the time, but I just remember knowing like, 
whoever's behind this, this is going to be an absolute knockout. And then sure enough, I, I would la later learn in business school about the, there was a case study on it and how that brand was basically on its way out. I think it was a Procter & Gamble brand. And they just like took a Hail Mary, let the ad agency go nuts. And they came up with this campaign and it was a complete knockout. And I just remember thinking at the time when I was watching that, um, I, I don't know if it was commercial where I first saw it, but I was like, that is an absolute genius campaign. Um, and yeah, that, that was the first one that I think like viscerally hit me. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that campaign very, very well as well. Um, and I, I'm curious, were you, were you always like during college, right? As you're thinking about, you know, what you want to study and what you want to do, um, in the same sort of like period of time where you notice that old spice ad and you think that this is genius, did you want to get into advertising? Were you interested in sort of like the creative space or um, at what point in time did you become specifically interested in um, the creative components of essentially sort of sharing a message and um, encouraging a message to become adopted? Talk to us a little bit about that. In my... Yeah, university was a really difficult time for me in my, my first year because I I played a lot of sports throughout high school and everything like that. And that was really, I really attached my identity to it. So not playing football anymore, not playing baseball. Like that was, that was how I, I mean, I was always a good student. I was always on a roll and, and you know, pretty intelligent and like had good grades and whatever growing up. But what I really attached my identity to was, was sports. And so cutting that out of my identity, I was just kind of left with this empty vessel of a human saying like, what am I now? And so I, I tried to really find that new thing that I could attach my identity to it. And I really struggled with that for about a year. And I went through a bit of an existential crisis and, you know, pondered what, what is the meaning of life a little too much and went through a really deep, dark depression, which is uh, also why mental health is so, I'm so passionate about it now because I've I've been in those dark valleys before where you really feel like there's no meaning to life. And, um, and, and so when I was, when I was in that first year of university, I, I, I did a year of science, which was a horrible mistake. And I was just failing my way through school. It was horrible. Uh, and then there was a point where I was just like, you know what? I love learning and I'm just going to throw myself into stuff that I'm really passionate about. So I, I just started taking courses in psychology and history and philosophy and whatever I wanted. And I just fell in love with, with the mind and just in psychology and sociology and just the impact that media or learning or ideas can have on a person or a group of people. And, and I just remember learning about totalitarian states and, and uh, the different psychology theories of personality and, and, developmental psychology and just being like, and, and, and also just that psychology was in its infancy that, and it still today is in its infancy and it's fascinating. And I just remember learning about psychology and just thinking, this is brilliant stuff. And then just seeing how it, it probably was around the time of that old spice campaign, seeing how something can just affect a, a group of people so much with, with just such a simple, you know, 30 second thing and it could lead to so much business success or so much outcome. And um, it was probably around that time too, where my friend and I, who um, we, had, we ended up starting Glacier together, 
Um, I, I had also started the fitness club in university and whatever else. And we, that was around the time we started our first uh, company too, which was a dodgeball <laughs> company called Faculty Wars. And we had uh, teams from different faculties come together and wear crazy costumes. And, and it, was, it was like a Halloween party where we happened to play dodgeball uh, once a semester. And it was just so much fun. And I actually almost got we almost got kicked out of school actually for that one because we just uh, <laughs> we got in big trouble. I'll never forget that meeting with the dean where she was like, "I tell me why I shouldn't expel you both right here." But uh, that was a whole other story. But um, yeah, it was around that time we started that, and then and then we we started getting interested in student government, and and I just remember looking at it and being like, "All these other politicians, they're just these student politicians." We're just looking at it like it was an actual political race. And I remember just thinking at the time, like, this is just a marketing, like it's, it's who can market the best. And so it was around that time that we put together our first, you know, marketing campaign and, and we actually copied the old spice guy a little bit. Like we were, we had horses involved in our campaign and, and, and whatever else. And uh, we ended up just crushing the, the, we, we, we had the highest voting turnout ever, I think for that campaign. And we just crushed all the voting records. And it was simply because we just understood this this idea that the the student government stuff it was it was more about marketing than it was actually the politics behind it and and i think that really resonated and stuck with me just the ability that just an idea can have and how and how much it can affect a whole group of people so that that was probably my my initial fascination with with media and advertising and the effect that it can have on an individual psychology or a group psychology. Yeah. So, so much gold there. Uh, I love that. <laughs> and um, uh, just a follow-up question. So as you were progressing through school, was this idea of, it's, it sounds like you had sort of this entrepreneurial spirit about you, but was the idea of, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, was that sort of like top of mind? Did you think, you know what, I don't really want to be an employee and post school, I'm going to do my own thing? Or at what juncture did you think, oh, hey, I have these ideas, I've been able to execute on a couple of them, they haven't totally flopped. Um, they've been interesting. And, you know, they got me uh, an appointment with the dean. So uh, talk to us a little bit about sort of uh, how you thought about and sort of wrestled with what you would do post school. Yeah, so we were we were in student government at the time. So we we won that campaign. We did a year in student government, and that was my sixth year of university, actually. So I was kind of like Van Wilder at the time. Um, even had an office on campus, and there was actually even a point where I was riding around in a golf cart, and I was like, "All right, I should probably graduate at some point here." This is getting <laughs> that's amazing. I'm the embodiment of Van Wilder, uh, and and uh, yeah, I think at that time. One of my one of my core values is today and has always been freedom, just the freedom to do what I want when I want kind of thing. And so I just I had never really done well in a job because I, I learned the job really quickly and then I get bored immediately and it just never really worked for me. So I, I just kind of knew that the entrepreneurial route was going to be the only one for me. We we really it, it was my my friend, Pat, who also co-founded Glacier. We just basically sat down one day in university and we just said, let's start a company together. And we just came up with a, a list of our best ideas. And then we applied some kind of weighted average decision matrix to them. 
and Glacier was the one that floated the top because it was the one we could start with a thousand dollars, which is what we had to start the company, and and that was the one that that we went for. And I mean, the the idea for Glacier at the time was radically different. It was just, you know, we were in student government, we knew people on campus, and we we somehow convinced some people to give us a lease agreement for some advertising space in the student center, and then they gave it to us, and then we were you know hustling in between classes, selling ad space. And then we wanted to scale and grow the company. And we just realized that there was so much competition already advertising on college and university campuses. And so that's when we came up with the idea. We said, well, what if we tried to advertise in high schools? Because no one was really doing it. And that's a completely blue ocean. And so we, we talked about it and we're like, well, who, would, who could we advertise in high schools? And number one would be ethical, because ethics has always been really important to to me from you know a long time ago like ethics is so so important especially with such an impressionable demographic so that's where higher ed really came to the forefront we said well higher ed is just brilliant because they always want more students and the high school principals would probably be down for it and it'd be great for the students because we're showing them different uh universities and colleges that that they're interested in so we went with that we cold called every principal that we could and then we got some ad space cold called every university or college we could got a few colleges to do it. And then, you know, fast forward a few years and we're in a few thousand high schools and a few hundred colleges and universities all across the country. And, and it was around that time too that I uh, actually started another company in, in real estate technology. So I was, you know, CEO of two companies at once. Uh, and the, the other company has since failed. And and uh, I lost, you know, for a student at the time, I lost quite a bit of money. I lost My investor lost all his money too. Uh, but it was just such a great learning, and, and actually, that investor is still one of my mentors to this day. So it's not all said or not all lost. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of how Glacier got its start too, at the end of the university there. I have a follow up question there, but before uh, before that, what were some of the other, if you remember, ideas on the list on the initial list um, that you <laughs> yeah. all that you all crafted with respect to what business you'd form? Do you remember any yeah. of them? Yeah, I do. There was there was one for a, a student laundry service. Okay. To do laundry for students. Thank God we didn't go with that one. That would have been so bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still terrible at doing my own laundry. Um, and then there was another one. This this was actually the one I wanted to go with really badly, but Pat Pat didn't want to. It was called. It was like a like a date service where we would have a website that just gave uh, really great date ideas for each city, and then you could even have custom dates where you could hire like a date concierge to like align a date for you. Huh. Um, something like that. So okay. that was, that was, okay. another, we had like 10 other ideas that, that were on the list, but yeah, that those were the ones I remember. Wow. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Well, Hey, you know, uh, if Glacier kind of gets up and running and you can kind of step away in the next couple of years, maybe it's time for you to invest in that date idea. I think that, uh, think that there could be especially in this covid world like applying some sort of like you know people are constantly looking for new kind of creative ways to engage with their partner when they can't go to nice restaurants or or bars as as frequently mm -hmm. so um that's fantastic so following up on on where you left off with uh glacier so you guys are at this point, you have this idea, you call principals, they say yes, like let, we'll give you some ad space 
talk to me about what it was like to go to the colleges and universities. So like what, how, what was your pitch to them? If you remember at, at the time and cause you know, from, from what I understand to you, this, this wasn't happening, um, you know, very much if at all at this time. And this particular channel was, was, was quite unique, uh, you know, a blue ocean, so to speak, as you, as you've said. So how did you pitch to colleges and universities around this idea? Yeah, so we we had no idea what we were doing the, the whole time through. You know, we were in our last year of business school and we would just relentlessly cold call these colleges and universities until they would finally pick up the phone and say, who are you and why are you calling me so much? Like, leave me alone. And and they would say, oh, you know, we can we can advertise for you in high schools. And they'd say, what? How how is this even possible? And and then send us your media kit. And then, and then I would say, okay, yeah, no problem. So I hung up the phone and I remember calling Pat and just saying, hey, have you ever heard of what a media kit is? I have no idea what this is. And then so we like just started Googling it and we're like, oh, it's like this package you send them about your media. So then we had to, you know, feverishly make this media kit and then send it off to them. And so it was just, it was figuring out the industry one step at a time. Like every time we had that client phone call and they'd say, oh, what's your, you know, what is your CPM or whatever? And then we'd say, yeah, let me just uh, double check it back and then I'd Google like CPM. <laughs> you know, so it was like we, we learned everything from the ground up. We had no idea what we were doing. So it was just, just constant test and iterate. And then, and then from there it was, you know, scaling was, was also just a huge challenge because we were doing it locally here in, in Calgary in Canada and we wanted to scale. And so we, we went next to Vancouver, which is, uh, you know, just North of Seattle and, and, we, we expanded there and the same kind of thing. We just, and because we only had a thousand dollars to start the company, we were just doing the most inexpensive option to scale, which was pure cold calling. So we would cold call the university or college and get them to give us a shot and test a campaign with us. And then we would cold call every single principal. So we were just cold calling on both ends. So it was exhausting. Like I, I don't know anyone who likes cold calling and you know, we did it for like three years straight. It was exhausting. Um, and there was just so many, like we, when we expanded Vancouver, there's no way you could ever know this, but we learned the hard way that, cause our, our ads that go up in high schools, it's like a big sticker, right? It's a big vinyl adhesive and, and they're massive. And so when we got to Vancouver, we didn't realize this, but humidity really matters. <laughs> and Calgary is very, we're a mountain, a mountain city. And then, and then in Vancouver, it's very humid. And so the ads would literally fall off the walls. And so our clients would call us and be like, hey, we just toured the school and all the ads are on the floor. Like, what's going on? And we'd be like, oh, no. So it was like, I literally, I, I literally had nightmares where I like couldn't sleep at night where I was touring a client around our property and the ads were all just falling out like a nightmare, like an advertising nightmare. <laughs> it was a struggle. Oh, my gosh. As, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's remarkable. What an image. What an image. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product, Funnelback, and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. 
and FunnelBack enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and an important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. So when you and Pat did you all have pretty distinct roles from the beginning or like what, what were you doing versus what was he doing? Were you guys tag teaming on everything? Um, you know, I, I'm just curious when you're in a co-founding sort of like a relationship, how do you sort of divvy up responsibility? Yeah. In the, in the early days, you know, probably from when it was just him and I to, you know, when we had maybe five employees, it was very, we were, we were, you know, like a two headed monster. Like we were, there was not really any clear roles or definitions. Sometimes it would be like, Oh, he's, you know, he's the CFO. And then I was the CFO and then he was managing high schools. I was managing clients. And then, you know, we just kept swapping back and forth because there was always just so much to do. So we, we really didn't have great role definition. I don't, I don't really know. I, I think when you're a co-founder, you're just kind of in your, you're in the pool, you know, like you're, you're just both in there you're in the sandbox together and you're just building everything. And I, I don't know if the, if I could do it all over again, if there would have been more clear role definition, because you, in those early days, you don't even really know what the product is, you know, like there's so much figuring to do. It, we, we did try to do some clear roles and stuff at the beginning and it just never really worked because then all of a sudden it'd be like, Oh, you know, shit, the ads are falling off the walls. We have to do product testing and figure out how to, get the ads to stay on the walls in a more humid climate. So yeah, we, we didn't really have any clear roles or, or anything like that. And, and I mean, that, that might've also, cause I, I did end up buying Pat out of the company about two and a half years ago. And uh, who knows, maybe that would have served us better if we did have more clear role definition. I, I don't really know. Yeah, no, I, I you know, hindsight's 2020 for sure. And I think in those early days too, you're just, you're testing so much. And the last thing that you have time to do is, you know, get set, settled down and sort of type up a job description and then assign it to, to, you know, uh, one or the other. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, where did the name Glacier come from? How did you guys settle on that name? Yeah, we, we used to tell a story about 
how Pat and I and the other co-founder went on a mountaineering expedition and we lost the, the third co-founder. We used to tell employees <laughs> that, but I'm not sure at all. No, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was just driving one day back from the, where I live in, I live in Calgary, Canada, and, and we live just on the, on the threshold of the Rocky Mountains. And so I've always been, I've always loved the mountains, with mountain biking, skiing, you name it. And I remember just driving back from the mountains. I think I was mountain biking one time or something. We were trying to come up with a name for the company. And maybe I'd seen a sign at the time or something. And I just remember thinking of the word glacier. And I just loved how it sounded. It was kind of a homage to our, our roots in Alberta with the mountains. And I do love a lot of the values that are that um, mountains and everything stand for. So we, I just liked how it kind of sounded. It's, it was a nice smooth sounding word. And we went with that. There was unfortunately not a greater story than that there was no third co-founder that died on a mountaineering expedition or something it was just it sounded cool i love it sounded cool sounded cool hey oftentimes that's that's a reason to do something so i'm i'm all game for that um i want to transition and talk to you ask really ask you a couple questions around um a darker as you called it sort of period of time um at the company where you you basically lost your entire team and had to sort of build anew. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, could you just share a little bit about what, you know, as much as you want, um, I understand that, that a lot of this might be sensitive, but the events that sort of like led to that happening and, you know, what lessons did, did Matt learn um, as a result of that, um, those, those events that have shaped the direction that the company has progressed in since? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a dark time indeed. I remember there was a time where we went on this, this team retreat out to the mountains and, you know, stayed in, in Banff, which is uh, kind of like our Aspen, I guess, of Canada, okay. I'd say. And, and we took a team photo at the top of one of the mountains that we climbed up there together. And then literally within 30 days, the only people left from that team photo was Pat and I, the two founders wow. out of a team, of, I think like eight or nine or something. So we had, we had almost hundred percent turnover in one month. It was insane. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, like looking back now, I realized at the time that I was having serious panic attacks, but I didn't know it at the time. I didn't even know what a panic attack was. I just thought I was, you know, stressed a little bit, but yeah, it was a crazy time. And, and I think any time that an employee doesn't work out at the company, it's, it's never, 100% fault of either party. That's what I've come to learn. And you know, if you were to draw a pie chart, it might be 25% company fault, 75% employee fault, or vice versa. It's never just 100% fault of anyone that's that's involved. So at the time, there was, uh, yeah. So so on that on that note, I think our fault, where we really like our portion of the pie chart that we really screwed up we were really young and experienced and stupid and didn't know what we were doing. So <laughs> there was always that to remember, you know, we were like 24, I think when we were doing this, we just had no idea what we were doing. Um, and then the second part was, I think we were, we were really influenced by fear quite a bit. And I think we let fear grab the steering wheel too much. And, and it still is the case with our company today where we follow the academic calendar because all most of our clients are colleges and universities. And so 
over the summer months, July, August, we take in close to zero cash. And, you know, when you're 24 and the budgets are getting into the millions and, you know, you've got everything on the line and, and you have no idea if the clients are going to come back or not, that can be pretty frightening. And it still is to this day. Like, I don't know, I can, ooh, during COVID, it was even scarier July, uh, June, July, August this year. But um, so that was really terrifying. I think we let that fear trickle in the culture. And, and as a result, we weren't treating employees the way we should have been. And we weren't empowering them. And instead we were micromanaging a little bit, maybe not being fair in compensation as we should have been just, just doing stuff that I would never do today. Hmm. And so I think we were just being shitty leaders ultimately. So that was, that was our portion of the pie chart, I think. And then the portion of the pie chart that, that, you know, was, was on the employees. I think one of, one of them at the time was, was overly negative and, and really, became a bit of a cancer, unfortunately. And, and I learned the hard way of just how quickly that can really spread throughout an organization. And, and, you know, before you knew it, it was just like, there was almost two, two companies. It was like pad nine and the rest of the employees. And, and, and I just remember thinking at the time, like, this is really strange. Like uh, we've never had this before where there's like such a clear divide. And then sure enough, we found out that basically everybody hated us. And like I said, for, for some good reason, like, like they certainly had reason to be distraught, but, but not to the extent that it did. And so, and that employee was underperforming, we had to let her go and, and et cetera. And then, and then once that happened, I uncovered a, a plot to sabotage the company or intercepted an email. Oh man, it was, it was a stressful time. And, and, uh, yeah, so we we ended up having to lay off more people, or and then and, and the other ones ended up quitting anyways. So it resulted in yeah, hundred percent staffing turnover in thirty days, and a couple of panic attacks, and some really hard lessons learned the hard way. And I've I've since actually spoken to pretty much everybody that left the company at that time, and you know we're all on on good terms. And and I've talked to the, the the woman I had mentioned, and you know she's in a much better place now, and I think she. So it's, it's all, it's all good, happy stories at the end of the day, but yeah, it was a really, really dark time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, but I think that learning those lessons, uh, earlier on in, in your career, um, as a, as a founder, as a CEO, I'm sure will bear probably has already born, but will continue to bear, uh, bear fruit in, in the years ahead. Not everyone, you know, deals with everyone deals with headaches, and everyone deals with 100% uh, team turnover in in a month. So I think that hey, again, it, it's sort of like back when you were biking and snowboarding and falling on your face. Like if if you can get up after that pain, um, and again progress forward and keep the the team, the company intact, and build back stronger, um, I think that you know those sort of happenings and lessons and how you respond to them are quite literally what will define your future. Um, and so sounds like you and, and Pat were able to sort of like muster up whatever uh, courage and whatever stamina you needed in order to, to, keep, to keep Glacier moving forward. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, what's happened since then. So like where, where are you guys at right now? What, you know, wh how big is the team now roughly? And um, what are some of the, the core focuses um, of the company at the moment. Mm -hmm, sure. So 
Yeah, we've we've scaled back a little bit because of COVID. We had to let go of some people, unfortunately, as you know, I'm sure is very common in the marketing education space. But uh, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. I think it really helped us lean out and really be more efficient with the resources we had. So we have we have ten full time people now. And then we have I don't even know how many part time. We have we have a team of people that go to our high school partners and put up ads and, and whatever else. So, you know, maybe 20 to 30 part-time people as well. Um, and yeah, today, so where we're at today, like I said, we our our whole mantra is to inform and inspire the next generation. And, yeah. and we have a huge focus on mental health, but uh, a lot of our clients are in higher ed. And so we're, we work with probably, I think like 130 or 140 colleges and universities all across Canada and the U S and we have a few thousand youth influencers in our network and everything like that. And I think we have over 2,000 high school partners now as well. And we're just going to continue growing our, our presence in the U.S. So we're going to be working with a lot more colleges and universities as we expand and grow there. And um, the other big area of focus that we're, we're really excited about is really figuring out more how, how to better leverage influencers in the higher education space. Mm. It's because there's been just massive uptake in influencer marketing in pretty much every other industry but in higher ed you know there's not many people doing it like we're we're probably the only company i've seen that has really even tried influencer marketing in higher ed yeah and so and so i, th- I just see a huge opportunity there because there's so many great influencers out there especially on tiktok like tiktok influencers i love tiktok it's amazing the it's, and maybe it's just because I'm an overly optimistic, positive person, but it just seems like there's so much optimism and positivity on TikTok. And, and so, and some of the influencers on there, I just think would be such a great fit in higher ed, whether it's like uh, influencers that talk about psychology or philosophy or science or whatever you name it, they can, they'd be such great promoters for certain higher educational institutions. So I, I'm really excited to push us in that direction and also just staying on top of the different platforms that youth are going on, whether it's TikTok or um, I saw your post about Clubhouse as well. So we might have to talk about that on, on another occasion, but just staying on top of these different platforms that, that kids are really going on and, and helping universities and colleges really figure out best how to advertise and, and communicate to youth. So we're just going to continue pushing the envelope there and, and finding the best and most effective ways to help universities and colleges really get in front of youth. Love it. Love it. And, you know, if, it, if my um, validation is worth anything, I think that that's exactly where you all need to be leaning into. There's, I think, just such a dearth of education and understanding in higher ed about how to do this well. Um, and I think that there is huge, huge potential. And, you know, the beautiful thing about like higher ed from any marketing standpoint, but especially from an influencing standpoint, an influencer standpoint is that the product is so important, right? Like it, you're not, you're not trying to get somebody to, you know, buy organic orange juice from Whole Foods. Like you're not trying to convince somebody to, you know, buy the latest smartwatch, right? You're, you're trying to encourage somebody to invest in an opportunity that quite literally will change their life um, and, and set them on a, a course to build their idea or to get that job for the first time, that first, you know, white collar job that that person's ever had in, in the context of their family. And there's, there's so much opportunity um, that education, educational institutions uh, can offer. I mean, that's what they're structured to do. 
Um, and yet getting it, finding creative new ways to tap into audiences and meet them where they're at. We're just always, you know, five or 10 years behind sort of everyone else. Um, and so if you guys can build not just the network, but also the framework and the trainings and the resources around how to do this well, I think that there is only going to be an increase in demand and interest around tapping into this channel. Yeah, we, we hear that so much from clients that, and they recognize the opportunity. They say, you know, we have, we have 20,000 students. We have this army of content creators. How can we harness it? And that's where we say, well, you know, that's where we come in, but, but also that they see the opportunity there. There's this army of, of kids that are brilliant content creators and they love doing it. And, and from all of our research, that's what, that's what prospective students want to see the most. They want to hear those stories from current students because they're the most authentic. And, and so finding a way to bridge that gap between those current student stories and the prospective students, that's, that's where we think the, the magic really happens. Love it. Love it. So I want to talk a little bit more about um, you and sort of how Matt thinks about uh, work, how Matt thinks about like his time. Um, and one of the, the questions to, to kick us off here is I'm curious as a somebody who's, you know, always got projects going on uh, myself and in sort of like in a variety of, of roles and contexts in my organization. One of the things that I feel like is really hard for organizations, especially sort of like small to medium size um, startup e organizations um, is balancing sort of like R&D with core services, right? So like, how do you ensure that, especially in the space that you're living in, which is constantly evolving and constantly changing? And, you know, the, the there are new platforms and networks popping up all the time and or just new strategies and tactics that work on those networks. It's just constantly evolving. So I'm curious, from what do you have any sort of uh, particular frameworks or sort of lessons learned about how you think about the balance of innovation and research and design at Glacier coupled with sort of just a, you know, shoring up of your existing services? How do you live into that tension? Yeah, this is something I constantly struggle with. And, and, and I, yeah, I wish I could say that we've perfected it, but we're, we're certainly not even close. And I, I'm sure I have a lot of other entrepreneur friends and I know this is a constant problem. Um, but one thing that we did this year, which I'm so glad we did, is we hired an external facilitator to come in and, and help us build out our strategic framework and our strategic roadmap. So we now have a very concrete strategic plan for the next five years. It's just completely laid out. Everyone knows exactly what we're doing, where the, because the way I look at it, Strategy for, a, for an organization of our size, it's really about, you know, pretend you have 100 hours and $100 to spend in the next year on innovation, new stuff, future direction, future strategy. So that's really all you have. So it's how do you want to spend those resources? And for us, getting that five-year plan together was so essential. And I've, I've tried to facilitate it on my own in the past, and, and it hasn't worked out super well. So I'm, I wish that was something that we would have done is we brought in this, this strategist who has you know, experience running billion dollar companies as the COO. And so he, we brought him in to help us build out the strategy because I'm, I'm a super entrepreneurial visionary type guy. I, I like to shoot first, aim later. And honestly, that, and that's gotten the same guy who, you know, rides his bike off a jump is the same guy at the helm of a company, which can be good sometimes, but other times it can lead to absolute calamity. So having, having that, those, those, you know, bumpers on the bowling alley, 
uh, I think has really been essential for us. So I think, first of all, building that strategic roadmap. So now I know the sand the sandbox in which to play. I know the rules for the game. And so what, what I've done now is actually one of our big strategic focus for the next uh, for the next three years is coming up with new products and new services that are going to mm. really help universities and colleges. So what I did is similar to how I built the Inform Inspire team before, I went and just built out the uh, innovation team. And so now, you know, much like we did in a homage to Glacier's past, we just came up with the list of ideas that we've had for new products, new services over the last four years. We rank ordered them and now we've narrowed them down to uh, three or four. And now we're going through them and, and doing a bit of a feasibility analysis on each of them to try to figure out which is going to be the one that we're going to bring to market that's going to help our clients the most. So that's that's how I'm going about it now is and I'm building much more strategic uh, process and framework around it. Whereas before it would be like, hey, VR is really cool. I'm just going to go launch this product and then and then sell it to all of our clients or, or <laughs> launch the digital division. It was just like, hey, I found this really dope programmatic platform that is amazing, the best in the high ride industry. Let's just go start selling it. And, and you know, like that's, that's not, we're, we're at the size now where we're too big. Like we're not nimble enough to do that anymore. So I have a, I have a really strong president at the company and I look at it like he's, he's like the brake pedal. I'm like the gas pedal and you can never have too much of either. Right. It's like, you never want to jam the brake on, but you also never want to jam the gas. So it's just that the, the constant harmony and the balance of, of ensuring that we're innovating enough and, and we're moving forward enough, but not so much so that at the, at the cost of the company, because there's been, I can tell you a laundry list of times where I've tried something and, and it, it, it almost creates like organizational whiplash where it's like, Oh, we're going this way. And then all of a sudden I get down the path and it's like, ah, no, it didn't work. We're going to go this way now. And then the company, the company what is going on? You know what I mean? So it's like, John is really great at like keeping that steady force going forward. And then I'm out there, you know, bushwhacking in the forest trying to figure out what we're going to do next. And, and I'm almost like a scout and not everywhere I find we're going to be able to build that bridge across the river, but, uh, you know, I'll eventually find it, but it, this way I'm not creating organizational whiplash every three months. So hopefully, hopefully that answers your question. No, no, <laughs> no, totally. And you know, as you're talking to, um, you know, the, the frameworks that you're talking about, the illustrations that you're giving, the, the analogies that you, that you're throwing out around sort of like how you balance roles and how you think differently today than you did before. It sounds like you have just you know, a, a really good self-awareness around like, okay, you know, hey, Matt, I'm a pioneer and I do these sorts of things well. And these are the sorts of things that I don't do as well and or just don't have an interest in doing that well. Um, and I think that that, that awareness um, for any founder and especially those sort of at, at the helm of trying to build a successful, sustainable company that's tackling very, very big uh, challenges is of the utmost importance. And so that, that is a nice segue into my next question, which is just around like, who do you call when like shit hits the fan? Um, when, when this stuff is, uh, maybe it's back when we, we, we go back to a hundred percent of your team sort of like walking out on you. Like, who did you call? How, how have you, uh, what role I guess have, have mentors played in your life, if any, and how do you mm -hmm. sort of think about, um, outsourcing support and, and help and advice, uh, any kind of, you know, just quick lessons learned, uh, in that vein. Yeah, absolutely. I've had, I'm, I'm really lucky 
and, and I'm super grateful to have had amazing mentors all along the way. Back, back from my days in the Students' Union, the, the man who he runs the, the University of Calgary Students' Union to this day, his name's Jeff Marshall, and he's a, he's a seasoned business guy, and he just, you know, basically wanted to run the Student Union just as his early retirement, just because he loved it, and he was just such a great guy. So he's one of my first calls to this day when it's like, holy smokes, I have no idea what to do. I call him. And he's known me for so long now that he just, like, his advice is always so spot on. So that's amazing. And then I, um, also the, the person I mentioned that I started that real estate technology company with, um, the investor for that, he was a, he's a super successful uh, finance entrepreneur in, in Canada. And his name's Dan Eisner. And, and he's been an amazing mentor of mine to this day. And then I also joined this other organization called the, the Entrepreneurs Organization. And it's a, it's like an international fraternity or sorority of, of you know, like 10,000 entrepreneurs all over the globe. And then, and there's also mentors that I've been paired up with through that or other members. I'm in a forum now of other entrepreneurs. So those early mentors and then, and then coupled with EO and the mentors I've, I've been exposed to through that, um, you know, even another guy, Mike Joseph, like, just these people where, yeah, like, it seems like your world, like your, your, your ceiling is literally collapsing on your head and you have no idea what to do. Uh, those mentors have been absolutely tremendous. And in my forum, you know, we, we have gotten each other through COVID and without those guys, I don't know what I would do. So yeah, I can't emphasize enough the importance of, of that my mentors have been to me or, or finding that group of entrepreneurs that I can really like my tribe that I can really lean on for, for all things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, in- incredibly important, especially especially in these times, and especially at the I feel like the stage that Glacier's at, where there's you all are sitting on so much opportunity, and um, it's almost like right there's all this potential energy that's being built up, and it's like okay, you know, how do we strategically like transform this into kinetic energy that will work for us? And I think that that um, especially just at the stage that you all are at is, is super, super important. And it's, it's cool to hear that you have support and networks to kind of like tap into. Um, cause I, again, I think that the opportunity is, is, is endless. And uh, uh, on a related note there with resources that you regularly tap into beyond sort of community, beyond sort of like mentorship, where do you go to get inspired? Are there like podcasts that you regularly uh, tap into? Are there, any great books that you have recently read that have changed your perspective and your mind on something or, you know, when Matt's sort of at like a low and he needs sort of like a, an inspirational, uh, you know, kick, where, where does he go? Yeah, I love, yeah, I really love music. Music really inspires me. I love electronic music. Uh, one thing I go to once a year, it's called, it's called Shambhala. It's kind of like Canada's Burning Man. That's the best way I could describe it. Okay not on the same scale, but similar. And so that fills my creative cup like once per year. Didn't get to go this summer, unfortunately, uh, hoping that it's gonna happen this year. So that that fills my creative cup like once per year, just being around so much music. And I, I'm a I'm a poet myself too. So I, I love writing poetry and uh, short stories and the like. So just being around so much creative energy, I find fills my cup. Um, but yeah, when I need that inspirational kick, I love to get out to the mountains. And then I'll listen to a podcast on the way, like uh, how I built this is so great. I love Freakonomics, love Sam Harris. Um, uh, I love, I also love reading too, uh, fiction. Like I love Isaac Asimov and, and his science fiction and his, like the, the 
the vision that he creates for the future. And like, who else can think 20,000 years in the future and build the universe in their head and then have this crazy intergalactic war? Like, it's just insane. Um, so yeah, I love reading that kind of fiction. And then, and then I think when I'm really looking for some inspiration, I, I love Marvel. Marvel is so dope. Like just, just throwing on some Iron Man or whatever it might be. I find that really inspirational too. Love it. Love it. Uh, so much gold there. All right. I've got one final question for you. And that's, this question is really around the opportunity that you see sort of in, in the greater, uh, ed tech sort of ed consultancy space right now for folks who are tuning into today's convo and they're either aspiring founders or maybe they're, uh, they founded a couple of ed tech companies or they're working as an education consultant or they're working in, you know, advertising in some other context and they want to start something, um, and, and want to build something of their own from the ground up. What, from your perspective, is sort of a space that needs a lot of help and or where do you sort of see opportunity, whether that's uh, in a particular, you know, from a product lens or, or a services lens, like um, where would you coach or advise folks sort of like tap into if they're hungry to start something new that you think would bring genuine value to the space? I think two of the technologies that are going to be absolutely transformative to education in the next few years are going to be augmented reality and artificial intelligence. I mean, they already have to some extent, but I'll tell you about each. So augmented reality that I just firmly believe that there's going to be this new web 3.0 or mirror world. I don't know if you've heard of that, where there's this augmented layer that's over every single, like a digital layer over every single piece of physical reality right now. And Apple's going to be releasing their, their glasses in a couple of years, their augmented reality glasses, well, rumored to be at least. And I think once that happens, smartphones are going to start disappearing and we're going to be living in this world where we're constantly on the internet. We're walking around, there's a digital layer over everything. And, and, and that's just going to be tremendous. What it, like, it's going to be the next stage of the internet. And so whatever that looks like for a university campus, like imagine what, what that will do. You can have a professor who just waves their hand and then all of a sudden, you know, they're in that Munich beer hall where, where the Nazi party was first formed or, or they're doing that scientific experiment with, with that Edison did, you know, with their hands because everyone's an augmented reality. Like the, the possibilities are really endless there. And then, and then that also with the blockchain and, and, and what can happen with blockchain in this augmented reality world. And, oh man, it's just, it's just insane. So I think, I think that's gonna be really cool. And then plus that's not even including virtual reality and what that can do for a, for a campus and everything like that. So I think there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity there. And then on the AI front, I think, and this, I mean, this can go so many different ways, like uh, for individual student-centered learning, and just being able to read a student's face and, and see how much they're actually grasping the course material or giving them material based on their learning style and their personality type so that they're going to learn the content the fastest and helping them have individual mastery over these small subtopics sub so that they uh, progress maybe slower at first, but then they get it like having that AI augmented experience so that it's more for the student-centered learning, I think, I think it's going to be huge. Um, and then also on, on the marketing front with AI, I think we're going to start to see AI really replace creative 
So I've already like one of the more mind blowing things. If you look at Lil Michaela on Instagram, I don't know if you've seen yeah, her. She's yeah. my influencer. Yeah. So she's been around for years and, and she's got millions of followers. And I think, I think we're going to start seeing that because uh, you know, with the whole deep fake phenomenon and, and AI is now able to write poetry that is better than a lot of uh, Nobel prize winners or like that I think is going to start replacing content. There's going to be more and more AI content. So I think that's one area. And then, and then also just uh, the advent of, of data and AI and targeting and everything like that. I think that's just going to continue to grow in that way. So much, so much gold there. So yeah, if anyone's uh, listening to this conversation and wants to go start on this idea, uh, it sounds like you should have a conversation with Matt and maybe, uh, maybe you guys can get all nerdy and, um, <laughs> and start brainstorming some concepts. But I think that, yeah, this, this sort of space is um, just ripe for more disruption. And I think that there's just a lot of opportunity to marry sort of what's happening in tech with the needs in education, um, which are which are ever growing and and, um, and and whatnot. So, Matt, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your story with us. If folks want to just get in touch with you and or um, have a quick chat with you to either follow up on anything that you covered on today's uh, today's podcast and or just learn a little bit more about Glacier, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Our website would probably be the best. We are glacier.org. And then, uh, yeah, feel free to send me an email. It's matt.diddlejan at weareglacier.org. Happy to chat. Fantastic. Well, sir, thank you as always. Really good to catch up and chat and um, appreciate all the work that you're doing. It's, it's incredibly important for the entire space. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Zach. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Starter Stories. Starter Stories is brought to you by Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher ed marketers. Enrollify was built to empower enrollment marketers with the ideas, the strategies, and the tools that they need to optimize the resources that they do have to generate the results that they need. You can explore our other podcasts or sign up for one of our newsletters or watch an episode of Frideas, our weekly video segment, at enrollify.org. Oh, And don't forget to hit that subscribe button or leave us a review. And if you like what we're about, share this content with a friend. Finally, if you know a founder in the ed tech or education consulting space that you think we should have on this show, please send me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org.